Thank you, Deanna. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you uh, for this morning. Uh, we thank you that we can gather around the truth of the gospel as we have sung that what you have done for us by sending your son has changed everything. And so, Lord, I, I thank you for that truth, and I pray that we would rest in that truth today. And Lord, I pray that as a response to what you have done for us, that we might hear your word this morning. We might hear what you are calling us to do as we look to follow you. Would you take just a moment to ask the Lord to speak to you from his word this morning? Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to speak. May we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It is uh, great, as Michelle said, to be together uh, and to worship the Lord with one another. And uh, we're uh, grateful that you are here this morning. Um, this is kind of the time of year where we begin, as she said, kind of launching into uh, the, a lot of the things that happen in our church that are really focused on discipleship. Uh, and hopefully you grabbed one of these um, and, and love to draw your attention to it. Last week and this week, we're kind of talking for two weeks about being a disciple, uh, and what does it look like to be a disciple as we want to follow Jesus together? Uh, and as we've been talking about this, uh, uh, last week we talked about the priority of discipleship. The, the reality that we have to prioritize following Jesus, it won't just naturally happen. Uh, but we need to make um, changes in our schedule, in our life, and to prioritize him and to, to lay down our lives and to follow him. Uh, and so I want to highlight just again in this, if you um, have not looked at this yet, take a peek at it. There's opportunities to be involved here. Uh, in particular, you'll notice that community groups are kind of beginning again. And when you go kind of follow the instructions in here, you can just hit click join that group. Uh, and it'll send an email to that group to say, I would like to, to learn more information and do that. But I also want just to highlight um, a group on here that we have not done before. I said this last week as well, but it's called the Renew Group. Um, and Matt, who was playing keys, he'll be up here after as well. Uh, he's leading that group. And if you want to chat with him, more about it, but I just want to read what it says. It says, do you ever feel stuck in a negative thought pattern, a debilitating emotion, or a behavior that has held you captive for far too long? This new and unique group will seek to explore the intersection of biblical teaching and what drives and guides our thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. And so as you think through that and pray through that, would you consider uh, maybe even joining that group as well? Uh, and then as Michelle said, our men's and our women's kicks off as well. So we're, we're looking forward to say, what does it look like for us to follow Jesus together with the priority of discipleship. And so last week we talked about the priority. This week, as we thought about thinking through, again, just these in these two weeks to, to recalibrate our minds and our hearts as we go into the fall, I um, wanted to talk about the posture of a disciple, the posture of a disciple, the, that what is it look like to be a disciple who, who follows Jesus and who lives with this kind of posture? And as we heard in the reading, uh, right at the end, Jesus says, whoever would want to be great, and then he finishes that sentence. And I think, how would we finish that sentence? Whoever wants to be great, well, perform at the highest level of whatever it is that you do. Whoever wants to be great, create a platform, build a constituent base, you know, get consensus and kind of move forward. Whoever wants to be great, have people who, who are under you in some form or fashion. Whoever wants to be great, be famous for any reason you can imagine. This is what our culture would say. This is how we'd be great. Um, 
A couple of weeks ago, I, I watched a, a documentary about, um, I like sports documentaries. I watched a documentary about this young man in our great state who went to a university that will go unnamed in our, uh, thank you, uh, and I figured that, saw that coming. I waited for it all the whole first service and did not get it, um, but uh, about a guy who was 18 years old and was given the name Johnny Football. That is a lot to put on an 18-year-old kid. And... What this story is, is both a story of this weirdness of greatness in our culture that says, oh, if you can be great, then all the money comes to your school, all the, all the fame, all the things that come to it. But really what the story is, it's a cautionary tale. It's a cautionary tale that this form of greatness does not work, that all the ways that we think greatness it, it will come to us, it actually does not work ultimately. It's a cautionary tale, one, because as we see over and over and over again, people are not meant to be worshiped. And secondly, it's a cautionary tale because it's basically a story of self-destruction, a story of what could have been great that ends up becoming um, one of demise and self-destruction. And so this form of greatness, the way we operate, actually does not work. And we think it will, but it does not, whether that's self-destruction or that's some colossal failure or just in our famous world, like just things fade and you're no longer famous. So Jesus says, Whoever wants to be great, serve. He turns it upside down. He says, whoever wants to be great, become a servant. This is not the way the culture operated then, and this is not the way the culture operates now. Jesus' call to be great is to serve. Now, I've always been fascinated. If you're a Bible, you can turn with me to Mark 10. We're going to look more at this passage. I've always been fascinated by the fact that um, all three times that Jesus proclaims and predicts his death to the disciples in the gospel of Mark, he says, I'm going to go through a trial. I'm going to be persecuted and flogged and spat at and all. I mean, just I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And after that death, I am going to be resurrected. All three times that Jesus predicts that, immediately after the disciples are talking about power, the disciples are talking about greatness. Now, what is Jesus trying to communicate when he, when he says what he's coming to do? One, he's letting them know of the mission. He's letting them know of, of what he has truly come to do, as we have just sung. But he's also showing that this is the path of Jesus. The path of Jesus is suffering leads to exaltation. Death leads to life. Humility leads to glory. Serving leads to greatness. What he's saying is this is the path and it is completely upside down from anything that we have ever seen. First time he predicts his, his death, his trial, his death and his resurrection, uh, Peter rebukes him. He says, that's not how power works. Remember what Jesus says? Get behind me, Satan. Here, Peter is saying, this is the way power works in the world. That's not how it works. You don't die. That's not going to happen. And Jesus says, let me tell you, this is the path. And he says, but if anyone would follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Save your life by losing it, he says. Second prediction uh, in the Gospel of Mark, uh, he predicts his death, and the disciples are quietly arguing. They don't think Jesus can hear him, because Jesus hears everything, right? Uh, but they don't, they're arguing privately about who's the greatest among the disciples. You know, which one is it, you know? Is it, is it Andrew? 
Is it James? Is it, is it Peter? And even what method are they using to decide this? Who has the most healings? Who's the most bold? They're arguing about who is great right after this prediction. And what does Jesus say? He says, you want to be first? Be last. And then today, the third time uh, that Jesus predicts it. And I want to just read this prediction just so that we can hear it again. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Here it is, the third one, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise." So this is the third time now that Jesus has predicted this. He said, I am going to die. I'm going to suffer. This is the path. I will rise, this, but this is the path. And this is what James and John say. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, uh, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. What a question, right? Uh, Jesus just talked about his death, where he's going, what he's going to do. Verse 36. He said to them, what do you want me to do for you? In a sense, they're saying, hey, Jesus, uh, we want a blank check. Whatever it is that we ask of you, we want you to do it for us. Uh, We've been with you. We've been close with you. This is what we want. And so he says, well, what do you want? Look at verse 37. And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Now, what does that mean? What are they asking for? They're asking for power. They're asking for authority. They're asking for status. They're asking for prestige. They're asking to rule. The person who sat at the ruler's right was the highest appointed position. At the left was the second highest appointed position. It was obviously not equal with the king, but anything they said was pretty much as if the king said it. And so what are they asking for? They want power. They want greatness. Now, Matthew's gospel actually tells us that it was Salome, James and John's mom, that asked for this. Uh, And you can imagine why the 10 were indignant about this. Like, your mom came and asked if we could be great. (laughs) (laughs) But again, Salome is sisters with with Mary, Jesus' mother. So perhaps they thought, hey, we're cousins. We're cousins. And often kings appointed family members. That was a, a normal kind of thing. And so this is what they're asking for. Now, this is not a, a com- this is not only a complete misunderstanding of Jesus's mission, but it's also pretty calloused to what Jesus just said. We're going to Jerusalem. I'm going I'm to suffer, and I'm going to die. And they said, "Hey, can we sit at the right and left?" Now, why? Why does every time that Jesus brings up his suffering, he brings up his persecution, he brings up his rejection, and he brings up his death, do the disciples talk about power and authority? It's really exposing what's in the human heart, isn't it? That we want greatness. 
there's something in us that wants to be great, and we think this is how we find it. This is, how, this is the way the world defines it, so let's go after it. One commentator says this, this narrative contains a bright mirror of human vanity. For it shows that proper and holy zeal is often accompanied by ambition. They who are not satisfied with God himself alone, but seek this or the other thing apart from him and his promises, they wander egregiously from the right path. We call this pride. Instead of worshiping, instead of surrendering, instead of bowing down to God, what pride says is, I want someone to worship me. I want someone to bow down to me. I want someone to surrender to me. And pride puts ourselves on the throne. Pride wants power and authority and status. Not only wants it, but even feels a little entitled to it. And you see this here with James and John. Give us whatever we ask. We want to be great. If you ask a kid right now who's the ages of, you know, maybe, I don't know, 8 to 12, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, they want to be a YouTuber. Uh, I remember when uh, several years ago when my kid was younger, he said, Dad, how old were you when your parents allowed you to have a YouTube channel? I said, well, <laughs> we were having your older sister when YouTube was created. Um, and yet, Why? Because it's the new rock star, right? It's the, it's the influencer. It's the one with the acclaim. It's the one with the platform, it, the approval, the notoriety. There's something in us that wants to be great, and we want to know how to define that. So we think we can get it, and we think it will satisfy. And James and John are saying, hey, we want to be great in your kingdom. This is how we do it. Sit at the right, sit at the left. It, you know, blood's thicker than water. We're cousins. Let's make this happen. And pride is insidious. We know it. We see it in others. Sometimes we struggle to see it in ourselves. But it's in all of us. In pride, it says, I'm right about this and others are wrong. Therefore, they're less than. This is the water we swim in right now. Pride says, I deserve to be noticed or liked or approved of. Uh, It can be overt or oftentimes it's just sort of subtle uh, beneath the surface. Pride attributes everything to self. Self-attributed success, self-attributed status, self-attributed everything. Pride lives and breathes off of comparison and envy. It's what gives it life. Pride cares about status and image. Therefore, pride cannot be inconvenienced to be asked to do anything that is potentially beneath them. Because Anything that doesn't contribute to our own self-worth or our own value or our own status or our own power or our own authority or our own greatness, we cannot do it. And what James and John are asking for is power, authority, greatness. In fact, Jesus would say it later that Gentile leadership is they lord it over them. What fundamentally what they're asking for And what we're asking for when we chase this greatness is for people to worship us instead of worshiping God. So, so give us whatever we want. Jesus says, what is it that you want? And look at his answer, verse 38. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? 
And they said to him, we are able. (laughs) Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 heard it, they became indignant at James and John. Uh, The cup is, is an Old Testament symbol for suffering. So he says, can you drink this cup? Can you suffer is what he's saying. Remember, it's suffering that leads to exaltation. It's serving that leads to greatness. It's humility that leads to glory. It's, it's death that leads to life. That's the path. He says, can you suffer? And they say, we are able. Which tells us they had no idea what Jesus was asking. They were missing this path. They were missing this mission. Now they would experience this later, he says. James would be the first of the disciples to be martyred. And most people think historically John was the last disciple to be martyred. They would taste that persecution and that suffering, and they would follow that. I I love verse 41. The 10 were indignant. They were appalled at this. (laughs) How could you? Maybe secretly they were like, maybe we should have asked, you know, gotten Jesus aside and asked for this. So Jesus pulls them together and he says, let me teach you about the kingdom of God again. Verse 42, Jesus called them to him and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Now, so first Jesus is speaking to what's going on here. He calls it Gentile leadership. Another way to think about it is like pagan leadership or maybe one way to say it is the way everybody else does leadership. The way the world does leadership is to get into a position where you can lord it over them. That's the way the world's leadership works. Have someone to look down to, have someone to look up to you, have someone to bow down to you. He goes on, verse 43. He says, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What he's saying is the kingdom of God is completely opposite. It is completely opposite the way greatness works anywhere else. He says the way to become great is to become a servant. This is the posture. This is the posture of a disciple is to serve. It's not upwardly mobile. In fact, it's downwardly mobile. It's not climbing the ladder. It's climbing it down. This is the path. In fact, notice, remember all three predictions? All three times, what does Jesus say? First, he says, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Second, he says, you want to be first? Be last. And in this one, he says, for whoever wants to be great, become a servant. So this posture of serving, what's going to happen when we serve? We're going to be treated like a servant. I remember when Mandy uh, was, she had a floral design business and we lived in Austin and we'd do a lot of weddings. And um, a lot of times the weddings that she would be doing flowers for, I would be officiating just because people we knew and I was from church. And so um, Friday night I'm there doing the rehearsal and, you know, I'm dressed up leading the process. The next day I'm there, hat, sweat, bringing in flower stuff, helping Mandy bring all the stuff in and kind of getting ready. And then a couple hours later I've showered, I've taken, I've got a suit on, I've got my wedding script. And it was remarkable how different I was treated when I was the help earlier in the day, as opposed to when I had the suit on and was wearing my, or holding my wedding script. 
I don't want to romanticize this. Oh yeah, let's be a servant. Being a servant means we bow low. It means we are treated like a servant at times. But it's the posture of a disciple. Everywhere we go, we're called to serve. At work, perhaps for some of us, maybe even the hardest place to serve. One author, he says, the relationships of the workplace are one of the chief, I like this, chief laboratories of the gospel, where God is glorified and we are refined and transformed. How do we serve those with whom we work for? How do we serve those with whom we work with? How do we serve those who may report to you, depending on what your role is? How do we work in such a way that the quality of what we do is done in such a way that it's sacrificial? It's, it shows that, I'm, that this is, I'm serving the greater mission that I work in. Wherever we're called, we're called to serve. At work, but also at home. If you, are, if you have parents, uh, if you have a roommate, if you're married, if you have kids, you are called to serve at home. And home sometimes is one of the hardest places to serve because home is kind of where we want to just kick back and sort of be self-indulgent and, oh, man, I've been working all day. Let's take a break. But we are called to serve at home and to bow low. As a church, we are in White Rock for White Rock. One of the reasons we have ministry partners is because these are opportunities for us to live out this posture of a disciple by serving uh, and there's so many opportunities to serve with our ministry partners. Uh, I mean, like one mile that way, Northwest Community Center, which serves the refugees, the hundreds, and um, I think the thousands of, I think it's hundreds of thousands of refugees that live right here. And there's so many opportunities with Northwest Community Center to be either uh, a, a conversation partner uh, or to tutor kids, just opportunities, one-time opportunities or ongoing opportunities as well as with um, Young Lives, which is the ministry of Young Life that serves teen moms. It meets here uh, in our church on Thursday nights, a, a chance to come and to watch their babies while they hear the gospel or to provide a meal for them. Uh, opportunities with Thrive, which is a pregnancy resource center that we partner with. There's just so many opportunities to serve, to, to, be, to live out this posture of a disciple in the community where we are. And then there's opportunities to serve um, here at our church. Opportunities to say, uh, I, I want to serve. In fact, I want to ask every single one of us to serve. To say, I want to find a place to bow down and to serve. And maybe you serve littles. Um, and there may be some times when you're serving littles, those zero to five-year-olds, that you feel like a servant. Um, <laughs> but it's the posture of a disciple. Serve with AV or, or worship or prayer or greeting. There's so many ways to serve. Everywhere we go, we take on this posture as a disciple of one who serves. Now, verse 45, for even the son of man, Jesus says, came not to be served, but to serve. And the pinnacle of Jesus' servant heart, he says, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The pinnacle of Jesus' servant heart is that he came who did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. Fully God becomes fully man to die. To die for you and me. We did not deserve it and we could not earn it. 
And yet he came and served. If anyone was worthy to be served, it's him. But he came to serve and to bow low and to die in our place to give us what we did not deserve and what we could not earn, salvation in him alone. And so we, not only do we worship him as our Lord and Savior, but we follow him in this path that it is suffering that leads to exaltation. It is death that leads to life. It is humility that leads to glory. And it is serving that leads to greatness. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we thank you for this passage that is convicting to all of us. Because as much as we want to chuckle about these disciples, we see ourselves in them. We see our culture and even inside of us, our obsession with greatness. And Lord, our desire as followers of Jesus is to lay that down. Our desire as Jesus said each of these times is to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. Desires, if we want to be first, be last. Desire is to live out this kingdom value that greatness is found in serving. So I pray, Lord, for us. Maybe there's specific places and areas within our life where we're called, we are called to serve everywhere, but maybe we're an area where we need to reflect on, are we living out that posture? Because, as Jesus said, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so, Lord, we don't do this to earn this. We do this as a response to what your Son has done for us. And so we pray that we might live out that posture of a disciple, one who serves. In Jesus' name, amen.